Thank you, Andy. The God of angel armies is always on my side, even in the lion's pit. And that's a point. That's a point. He's not necessarily protecting us not getting in the pit, but he's there where when, when we are in it. And that's the point. Would you open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5? Sorry, Daniel chapter 6. We are going to be covering the theme of the God who made the lions fast. Daniel chapter 6. If you are using one of the Bibles provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 776. 776. For those of you who are visiting us this morning, perhaps for the first time, we want to inform you that we are currently going through a series of sermons through the book of Daniel. We're taking one chapter at a time. Today we are in chapter 6, and uh, we will continue through the end of the book in the upcoming weeks as well. But today it's chapter 6. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed and, in, and agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, 
or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. In the first light of the dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, service of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent of his, in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wounds, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. This was the word of the Lord for us, for our hearts. Let's ask the Spirit of God to enlighten us. And so give us so, such receptive hearts that we may understand what he has to speak to his church, to us this morning. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? O oh, gracious God, we thank you of your testimony of this great story in the life of Daniel. We thank you for the decree that the king of Persia has given to worship and fear and reverence you, the God of Daniel. O oh, Lord, we thank you for your testimony. And this moment we ask for your Holy Spirit to be granted to us, to be given to us so that we might understand and take to heart what you want to speak to us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Friends, let's look at Daniel chapter 6. It is the last story of the narrative section in the book of Daniel. 
And let's look at, at how this chapter functions in the overall book. It's a climactic summary of the major themes of this book so far. Uh, the supremacy of God has been one of the themes we have been repeating over and over again. It's, it's center stage throughout this book, both through God's miraculous signs and wonders, but also through His revelation of His coming eternal kingdom. God gives us a message that He is supreme. He is above every power. He is above every authority on this earth. He is above the authority of every king, even the Babylonian king and the Persian king. But a second theme that comes up in the book of Daniel is how should we respond to the supremacy of God? If God is supreme, how should His people and how should the people of the earth respond to the supremacy of God? If God is a king of the eternal, indestructible kingdom, how should we respond when the kingdoms of the earth pressure us and tempt us to act against the God who is supreme? Well, the very end of chapter 6 makes it plain to us that when we realize the supremacy of God, we should respond in worship. Every man living on the planet earth, every nation, every language should worship God. This is what the pagan king decrees to his entire empire. And that decree is not just a summary of the story of Daniel. It's also an interpretation of how we should understand the story of Daniel. Listen to verse 26. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Now, there's certainly more to worship than fear and reverence. But there's nothing less than fear and reverence. There's more to worship than fearing God and revering Him. There are such things as loving God, as, as being devoted to Him. But there's nothing less than needing to fear God and revere Him. In our society that is overly consumed with a very sentimental notion of love and acceptance, to hear that the worship of God involves fear and reverence is like nails scratching a blackboard. And yet, fear and reverence for God play a key part in this entire chapter of Daniel 6. The crisis Daniel experienced towards the end of his life shows us what exactly Daniel feared and reverenced most? Was it the king's command and decree? Was it his own life and safety? Or was it God and his commands? The reason why Daniel is able to respond the way he does when he hears of the king's decree is because Daniel feared his God more than he feared the decree or its punishments. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall, I, whom shall you fear? Yes, you can't worship God without a sense of holy fear and reverence. You can't worship God without a sense of holy fear and reverence. 
Philippians 2.14 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I love the way John Calvin starts off his institutes. In the very few, first few pages, he says a very interesting phrase. Listen to this phrase. Here indeed is pure and real religion. Faith, faith so joined with an earnest fear of God that this fear also embraces willing reverence and carries with it such legitimate worship as is prescribed in the law of God. Faith so joined with an earnest fear of God that this fear also embraces a willing reverence and carries with it such legitimate worship as is prescribed in the law of God. Friends, when you're being pressured or tempted to disobey God and His Word, who do you fear or revere the most? Is it the God you claim to worship or the pressures to act against Him? How do you know you have a high view of the supremacy of God. Throughout this book of Daniel, we've been talking and talking and talking about the supremacy of God. Well, how do you know that after six sermons of, of hearing this theme over and over again, how do you know if you have a high view of the supremacy of God? It's easy to come here to the service and listen to sermons about the supremacy of God and go home, be edified, be encouraged, and that's it. But it's when our view of the supremacy of God is truly tested by the pressures to act against God, to live life in a way that displeases God. When those pressures come, that's when you really get to know your view of the supremacy of God. How we respond to God's law, how we obey His commands, especially when we were pressured to put them aside, is a great indication of our view of the supremacy of God. And friends, the final narrative of Daniel speaks to this test of what we really believe about the supremacy of God when we're tempted and pressured to live otherwise. Daniel chapter 6 is not simply an assurance that God is with you when you go through trials. Now, that truth is true, and there are many other passages in the Bible that point to that assurance that God is with us when we go through trials. But Daniel chapter 6 is not about that. Daniel chapter 6 is about the assurance that God is with us when we are tempted and pressured to disregard God's ways. Daniel chapter 6 assures us that no matter what the threats we encounter, we should have no fear of following God's ways wholeheartedly, even if it means a lion's den. That's the assurance that we get in chapter 6, that God is with us even when we're pressured to act against God. So let's look and see how Daniel has this assurance, how Daniel manifests this assurance in God, of God's presence. In its historical context, chapter 6 of Daniel was first and foremost written for the Israelites in exile who were tempted to ignore God's ways and no longer trust God for deliverance from exile. Or they may have trusted in the new government administration now that Babylon has fallen, now they may trust in the new government administration 
to bring them out of exile. And the people of God needed to be reminded of the reality that only God can rescue, even when a pagan king wants to help. Only God can rescue. And God is present when we're tempted to act against him. Let's look at two themes that sort of run through this chapter. The first one is remain faithful to the end. Remain faithful to the end. And the second theme that we'll look at is trust that God is able to deliver and save. Trust that God is able to deliver and save. The first point becomes evident when we take a panoramic look at the story of Daniel's life and what has happened up to this point. With the change of the new empire, with the change of the new administration, Daniel finds favor again with the king. He is selected as one of the three head administrators and is about to be promoted to the highest position of authority in the entire empire that one could ever aspire. Think of Daniel, and this is how chapter 6 starts off. Think of Daniel on the brink of receiving the highest promotion what could ever, 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 ever receive. And what's even nicer about this promotion is that the one who wants to make it is the king himself. This is a sweet deal. But as that plan is about to happen, Daniel's life takes a turn that was totally unseen and unpredicted. The rest of the wise men and the, the, the magicians and the chief administrators don't like the king's plan. So they try to find ways to stumble and, and put an obstacle to the king's plan to promote Daniel to this high position. Look at verse 4, what they find. At this, the administrators, the satraps, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. What a job review for an exiled Jew who served the pagan king. What a job review for someone who um, was examined by his accusers and people were trying hard to find something against him and nothing was found. Friends, Daniel's life is described here in terms similar to how Paul describes an elder or a pastor in the book of Timothy. A man without reproach. Not that he is without sin, but that he lives a life whose reputation and conduct gives nothing for anyone to grab a hold of. Friends, our churches need such people. And our churches need to be led by such people. How gracious of God to put this as a chief qualification for anyone serving as a chief elder or pastor in a local church. Daniel lived up to that qualification as he was about to be promoted to be the chief man in the kingdom of Persia. This is Daniel towards the end of his life. Nothing can be found against him. Daniel's enemies knew that the only way to get him in trouble with a king was if there was a law that opposed the law of God. Here's what the accusers of Daniel were very convinced of that Daniel would not forsake the law of his God 
over the law of the king, and therefore they could get him in trouble this way. Now, that's a great reputation for a child of God. Think of the reputation we get today as Christians by the world. When, when the world thinks of us as Christians, what is the first thing? Or what's the most common thing they hear? We're a bunch of hypocrites. Here, Daniel's enemies convinced that Daniel would rather obey the law of his God than the laws of the kingdom. That's a great reputation. That's a great life, living under the supremacy of God. And that's what they do. They go to the king and uh, come up with this law. And, and look at, look at verse 6. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. Now, that's a lie. Daniel was, should have been one of them. But nev- Daniel was never called to that meeting. But they used deception against Daniel so they could come up with this harmful law to Daniel. The decree was aimed at taking him out of the race. But Daniel's response reveals to us three principles that are still valid for us today. Three principles that are still valid for us today. First, faithfulness is more important than influence. Faithfulness is more important than influence. Friends, a time may come when one must let go of human favors to stay faithful to God. A time may come when even a promotion into positions of influence must be risked for the sake of remaining faithful to God. Now, Daniel could have argued very creatively something like this. Um, If I just get through this month, if I just get through this hurdle and make it into office, the impact of my influence will be way bigger for the kingdom of God. I can get rid of those bad guys and I can make laws that favor God's kingdom. So why not cut some corners just for a month? Right? How easy! But Daniel knew that faithfulness to God is more important than influence. The second principle is that faithfulness is more important than safety and comfort. Now, friends, our hearts have been deceived and often are deceived to think that our safety and comfort is more important than our faithfulness to God. You may say, when are our hearts deceived about this? Every time you're tempted. Every time you're inclined to do something that would suit your comforts, your pleasure, your safety and security, every time you do that, you're more tempted to believe that your safety and comfort and security is more important than faithfulness to God. When Daniel chooses to respond in a way that, you know the story, I don't need to repeat it to you. Daniel knows something very powerful that we need to remember. That we are more safe and more secure in the lion pit with God than outside the pit apart from God. Daniel knew that he would be more safe and secure inside the lion pit with God than outside the pit without God. And the next morning, the dawn of that morning proved it. When Daniel is lifted up from the pit, 
who gets thrown into it? His accusers, his enemies. Oh, friends, faithfulness to God is more important than safety or comfort. Do not fear for your life or safety or comfort, especially when faithfulness to God seems to be threatening these. A third principle that, that Daniel learns is that faithfulness to God is required not just at the, beginning, at the beginning, but to the very end. Faithfulness to God is required not just at the beginning, but to the very end. Remember Daniel's life as a teenager? He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Now in his old age, he's not about to depart from God's law when it comes to praying to God, even if it means facing the lions. It's not about how you start the Christian life. It's also about the way you end it. It's not enough to accumulate a set of experiences of faithfulness to God. We must remain faithful to God until the very end. And when we realize the, the story in Daniel, how Babylon has fallen, Daniel had every reason to believe that the worst was behind him. Daniel had every reason to believe that the worst of the exile was now a matter of history, and now his, his reputation, now his influence started to, to come back and, and to be regained, and perhaps now God will really make it happen and bring the exiles back home. But this story in Daniel 6 is like, it's like that cold front. For those of you who lived up, in, up north where there's snow, let me speak to you a language that you may understand. It's like the, the snow front that comes in April once the spring has, has come. That late snow front is more devastating than anything prior because you don't expect it. I wonder if in some cases that's what Daniel's going through in Daniel 6. There's been a great life of great faithfulness up until now. The Babylonian empire has fallen. There's great hopes that now God might bring back the exiles. But instead of redemption, instead of deliverance, here's another major blow, another major test in Daniel's life. And yet Daniel remains faithful to God to the very end. Friends, you can't rationalize that earlier faithfulness could cut you some slack in the presence. You cannot rationalize that earlier faithfulness to God could cut you some slack in the present or in the future. Our view of the supremacy of God calls us to remain faithful to God to the very end. Why? Because God is supremely faithful forever and ever and ever. That's how Daniel responded to the supremacy of God. He remained faithful to the end. But the second question is, how could Daniel keep this faithfulness to the very end? What exactly was going on in Daniel's life that he could remain faithful to the very end? Let's look at the second point that comes out in this, in this story, and that is trust that God is able to deliver and save. Trust that God is able to deliver and save. If Daniel thought like many of us, when he heard the king's decree, he would have modified his prayer life very easily. Um, okay, if that's a king's decree, I'll pray at night. Or I'll have a better idea, and it's in the Bible. I'll pray in my closet where no one sees me. After all, that's what Jesus commanded, right? Or here's an even better one. I'll just pray in my heart as I'm driving. 
Nobody needs to know that I'm praying. I'm just praying. I'm just praying in my mind. Daniel could have chosen any of those options, couldn't he? Possibly. I'll show you why he could not choose any of those options. It's in the Word. We're going to go through it. But just for for the moment, Daniel realizes that this command from, from the king is an assault to the law of God. And he's not going to pretend like he's working the system. The law clearly forbade anyone for 30 days to pray to God or to anybody else outside the king. And Daniel has no problem making a statement and saying, we are not going to bow down to that law. Now, there are people who um, struggle to pray out loud or in public places. They feel embarrassed. It's a hard time for them to pray like Daniel, even out loud in their own quarters, in their own homes, even in freedom. We have so internalized prayer as if it's something that we can only do inside of us. And yet, Daniel, even in his home, gives us a picture of the public nature of his prayer. What does he do? Daniel continues to go to pray. Daniel sees the king's decree as an attack on the law of God, and he says, what do I have to choose? The the laws of God or the laws of the king? Now, we get here a glimpse of, of Daniel's prayer life, how he actually prayed. Uh, He prayed three times a day. He prayed out loud. He gave thanks. And he prayed with the windows open towards Jerusalem. Now, why did he do that? Why couldn't Daniel at least just close the windows so that nobody could hear his prayers outside? Why did Daniel have to keep the windows open as he prayed at this time. The most important phrase that describes Daniel's prayer life is that when Daniel heard, heard the king's decree, he prayed just as before. Now, when we hear the story of Daniel 6, and for those of you, perhaps, if any of you are here and you've never heard it up until now, The natural place where we are inclined to hold our breath to see what happens is the moment when Daniel is lowered into the pit. Right? But here's the point. The most important lesson and the most important point is not when Daniel is lowered into the pit. By that time, the most important battle has been fought already. The most important part and the the place where we should hold our breath and see what will happen is not when Daniel is lowered into the pit, but when Daniel hears the king's decree. I love what Veltkamp says, the greatest miracle of grace in Daniel 6 is that Daniel, the man of prayer, was able to go on praying, and he did it just as before. Nothing has changed Daniel's prayer life. Nothing. Nothing could pry apart those two aged hands, 
tightly clasped in prayer. Why? Did you pick and observe how Daniel prayed three times a day, kneeling, giving thanks to God, doing so with, with his windows open towards Jerusalem? Why? Why this way? Let me take you back to a point of history, in history when King Solomon dedicated a temple. King Solomon prayed to God a very important, a very powerful prayer. And I, I want to read this prayer to you. It's going to be a little long, but I think you can handle it. But I think especially it's going to be very crucial for us to understand what's going on in Daniel 6. So, 1 Kings, if you want to jot down this reference for you to meditate on it a little later, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 46 to 51. Listen to King Solomon as he gave a prayer of dedication. And I'm just going to read an excerpt of this prayer. When they sin against you, and he's talking here about the people of Israel, King Solomon says, when they, the people of Israel, sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to his own land, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they're held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their conquerors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, and if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their fathers, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause their conquerors to show them mercy for they are your people and your inheritance whom you have brought out of Egypt out of that iron-smelting furnace. King Solomon prays that prayer as if he knew exactly where Israel will spend their exile. And he gives instructions how the Israelites are supposed to pray during exile. Praying towards Jerusalem. Praying towards the temple. When Daniel does this, it's not just some magical thing or some very peculiar thing to his prayer pattern. Daniel does this because his prayer is conformed to the pattern of Scripture. Scripture said that they should do it when they're in exile. That's why he prays that way. Daniel could not close the windows of his rooms. Daniel could not give up praying towards Jerusalem because that is how he showed his trust in God to deliver and rescue. In this prayer, Daniel shows us that he takes Solomon's instructions, God's instructions, and takes them for what they are. He prays according to Scripture. Friends, what's amazing is that Daniel did this not only at the time of trial and hardship. Daniel has been doing this pattern for a while. We don't know how long. We are just simply told he did this as he did before. 
Even though Daniel was convinced of the supremacy of God, even though Daniel was convinced of his control, even though Daniel had received visions that God will establish his kingdom forever, Daniel doesn't just sit and wait for God's sovereignty to happen. God's sovereignty encourages Daniel to keep on praying. When God is in control, that's what fuels Daniel's prayer. Daniel is encouraged to pray more and more fervently and earnestly. Friends, we need to be cautious of a danger that reduces our spiritual lives only to that which happens in the heart. Listen to, listen to this caution. In, in, especially in, in the last few decades of American evangelicalism, we need to be cautious of the danger that reduces our spiritual lives only to that which happens in our hearts. It's true that our hearts are the center of our spiritual lives. But what we do with our bodies, what we do with our prayer habits, should not be considered unimportant. Our prayer habits are an indicator of our trust and reliance upon God. Our prayer habits are an indicator of how we see the supremacy of God. Friends, each of us like to think of ourselves as more spiritual than we truly are. Each of us like to think of ourselves that we are more spiritual than we truly are. And if our prayer habits are a true indicator of our trust in God, what would your personal prayer time indicate about your true trust in God? Take a look at your prayer habits, at your time spent in the Word on your own. Such habits might give a better reading of your trust and reliance on God than how you feel about your spirituality. Take a real look at your spiritual disciplines. Do you ignore them because somehow you've been led to think that as long as it's in the heart, that's all that matters? Daniel gives us a picture that it's not just the heart. It starts in the heart for sure, but it then translates into patterns of life into habits that bring us before the throne of God and show our true dependence on God. Friends, we have lamented the fact that the government has taken prayer out of our school systems. I haven't heard one lament where prayer has been taken out of our services. I, when we did a prayer service a few weeks ago, someone, an, an elderly saint here in our church, says she remembers a time when, when Christians would gather just to pray. I haven't heard many laments that prayer has been taken out of the churches. And we sing more and we do more stuff, but pray less. That's why one of the things that we have been very intentional here at Park Hills is in our services, we want to have times of prayer. Silent prayer, corporate prayer. We want to have moments when we gather as believers just to pray. We pray we'll do more of, of what we did a few weeks ago when in a church-wide Sunday school we actually just gather to pray. Because what we do with our bodies, what we do in our spiritual habits, with our spiritual disciplines, are a better indicator of the true trust of our hearts. And that's what Daniel is showing to us. Oh, I could talk to you about kneeling in prayer as well. Right? Daniel also prays kneeling. Kneeling does have a future, by the way. And if you have a hard time believing that, think of what Philippians says about Jesus, a time will come when every knee will bow. 
it's not just what matters in the heart. People in their physical bodies will actually express the true impression of what happens in the heart. So we, we could talk more about this. This could be a sermon in and of itself. I'm just here to point to you that Daniel's prayer life, his prayer habits were so robust, even though he believed that God was in full control. As a matter of fact, I would say to you, the reason why Daniel's prayers were so strong is because he was firmly convinced of God's control and sovereignty and supremacy. But you know what's surprising in the story? It's not only Daniel who trusted to deliver him from the lion's pit. You know who else trusted in God? The king. And this is the miraculous part in the story. It's amazing. Um, look at verse 14. Uh, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. But then look at verse six, 16. He can't, obviously. You know the story. He says to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Daniel 6 is a great comparison with Daniel chapter 3. In both stories, um, these men of God are tested. But in chapter 3 of Daniel, the king is committed to punish these three men, Daniel's friends, and ask God and is convinced that no one can rescue these men from his hands. In chapter 6, the king is convinced that he cannot help these people, although he would like to. That only God can. In, in some way, Daniel chapter 6 is a, ho is a picture that the gospel will reach even the Gentiles and the pagan empires. Because here in chapter 6, the very king of Persia is trusting in God to rescue Daniel. Friends, this is amazing. Don't put your hopes in people. Don't think political favors can deliver us. We get excited when, when we get in government, somebody who can... Uh, who can favor us, right? And can favor our laws and our, 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 our virtues. Daniel 6 is a reminder that we dare not put our hopes in them, for they can prove as helpless as anyone else, despite their best efforts. This principle is true even at the level of personal relationships. Even when people want to help us, often they can't. Only God can rescue us and save us. No wonder that when Darius the king writes a decree to encourage all the people of all his empire to fear and revere the God of Daniel, his reason is because God is able to rescue and save. Friends, the rescue that God did for Daniel in front of the king proves that he is the living God, that he is a God whose kingdom cannot be destroyed, whose kingdom will endure forever and ever. But the story of how God delivered and saved Daniel is a foreshadow of a greater, of a greater rescue, of a greater salvation. One commentator has done a great job pointing out to how the story of Daniel um, has many, many similarities with the story of Christ. Listen to these similarities. Just as Daniel, just as in Daniel, the presidents and the satraps and the chief administrators conspired against him. So also in the New Testament, we read that the chief priests and the elders conspired to arrest Jesus. Just as the accusers could find nothing worthy of the accusation against Daniel, so also the chief priests were looking for the testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could find none. 
Just as Daniel was found guilty by transgressing the law of the Medes and the Persians, Jesus was found guilty of transgressing the law of the Jews, but not the law of God. Just as Darius tried to save Daniel but was unsuccessful, likewise Pilate tried to save Jesus but could not. Just as we read of Daniel that he trusted in his God, we read of Jesus that the night he was betrayed, he prayed to his father, not my will, but yours be done. Just as Daniel's pit was covered with a large stone and sealed with a royal seal, Jesus' tomb was covered with a big stone and sealed so no one could come and steal his body. And there's a few other similarities. But even though Daniel prefigures Christ and is a foreshadow of Christ, the work of Christ is so much more greater than Daniel's. God rescued Daniel's, Daniel from the lion's pit only to die later in life. But God rescued Jesus from death to live forever and ever. And unlike Daniel's rescue, which was only of himself or for himself, Christ has been made the first fruits of those who have died, so that by his death and resurrection, many could come to life in him. His rescue from the pit of death is the greatest hope of the gospel, that those who turn to Christ, those who acknowledge their rebellion, their self-centeredness, their ignorance of God, those who acknowledge their sin before God and believe that Christ has died in their place, they might receive the life of God forever and ever and ever. Unlike Daniel, who was promoted to a position of authority over a human empire, God exalted Jesus to rule over all heaven and earth. You remember what Jesus told his disciples before he left back to the Father? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And the Apostle Paul tells us that a day will come when every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, this Jesus, whom Daniel foreshadowed, will come again. And that's the hope of the gospel, that this Jesus will come again. Now, not many today acknowledge his kingship and authority. Not many Christians live their lives in full acknowledgement of the full supreme authority of Jesus. But a day will come when they will have to recognize his full authority. But friends, on that day, it'd be too late. We're called today, as we hear the work of the gospel, the news of the gospel, to turn our hearts to him. So whether you are not a Christian or whether you are a Christian, but feel like you've lived life away from the authority of God over your life, today God calls you to come back to him, to put your trust back in Christ. Put your trust back in God. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Acknowledge that you are a rebellious person. And even if you call yourself a Christian and you have lived apart and away from the laws of God, from the authority of God over you, come back to him today. I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. Today, the good news of the gospel calls all of us to acknowledge, acknowledge this Jesus as king because his kingdom can never be destroyed and will never end. Don't delay your response to the gospel. Now, it's true that worshiping this God is costly, and that's what Daniel warns us about. It may put you to face the kind of pressures Daniel faced, to be ready to lose your life for the sake of Christ. But that's the hope of the gospel, that the Christ's death, we already have received 
a life that can never be taken away from us? Why would we be afraid of the pressures that come against us? Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And he gives a promise. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will, will save it. Friends, for those of us who are citizens of God's eternal kingdom, Daniel's story is a great reminder that our worship of God will be tested. Our view of the supremacy of God will be tested. It's not enough to simply say what you believe about the supremacy of God by simply listening to a sermon. When the pressures, when the temptations will come, your choices will be a great indicator of what you truly believe. Is there something in your life that you know right now of that you have been disregarding God's ways? Perhaps because you are afraid that if you do follow God, it may cost you too much. It may be too inconvenient. You're risking too much if you follow God's ways about a particular matter. Is there something in your life where you're struggling with those kind of decisions? Take heart from Daniel. Take the encouragement from Daniel. Daniel is willing to face the lion's den for the sake of not stopping to pray. Friends, we, we, we don't face persecution in America. We don't. I pray that we may never. But I wonder, I wonder if we Christians in America will live with a kind of attitude that we would rather die than be willing to act against God. That attitude we should have even if there's no persecution. The willingness to rather die than live a life against God's ways. I pray that God, by His grace, would impress on us that kind of worship, that kind of view of the supremacy of God. Dear child of God, we are called to remain faithful to the end, even to the point of death. And when we have that attitude We can pray and praise God with the Apostle Paul who says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your grace and mercy, you give us realistic pictures of what it means to live here on earth with a view of the supremacy of your reign. We thank you for the testimony of Daniel and what he encourages us to do and how to live under your reign here on earth. We pray the words of Jesus. We pray that your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth, here in our lives, here in our church. May your reign be done and manifested here as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And then sing this with us. Why don't you stand up and sing this with us?